Friendship. Faithfulness in friendship. The story of David and Jonathan is very powerful, and much ink has been spilt on it. And we're going to focus on that special covenant that they made together. Just going to sort my bits and bobs out here. Sorry about that. So, all right, hands up if you had a best friend at school. Oh, that's sad. Hands up if you didn't. Oh, come on. Colin put his hand up for neither. What's going on? Now, for the elites among us, those that did have a best friend at school, it's possible that you still have that friend now. That's true friendship, where no doubt if you are still friends now from a childhood friend, you have discussed everything in your lives together and walked through things that you never imagined you would and shared your life story together. Now, at primary school, you will be shocked to your core to discover that I, too, had a best friend. His name was Alan, Alan Brocklesby. Alan, where's the camera? If you're watching, mate, get in touch. He came from a a large, loud, noisy family like I did, and he loved scrapping and fighting. That's probably why I was his friend. And uh, so he loved a good scrap. And one day on the way to school in Weymouth, we would walk together because we lived near each other. And you know what? I don't know. I can't speak for girls, but boys would always eat their lunch very early on in the journey to school in the morning. Right? And one day, he was showing me how to protect yourself should you be attacked. Because, of course, he's always being attacked. He's Alan. Everyone knows that Alan's always in the fight. And he would say that you have to put your arms up like this to protect your face. Anyone been in a fight? If you're under attack or a surprise attack, you've got to sort of protect your face and hunch over your body to protect your ribs and your stomach, and you're doing this. I was like, okay, Alan, he's punching me, and I'm, he's, put your arms up, Richard, put your arms up. So I'm doing this. He's going to hit my face if my arms are not upright. He's training me properly for the fight. The very next day, at the exact same spot, on this little lane called Bumpy Lane, it was all the way down, because it was bumpy, right? Um, Alan got into a fight with a slightly big kid who wanted his lunch. Now, I was halfway through eating my lunch, so I had half-chewed sandwich in my mouth as Alan was being attacked. And he was literally pounced on by this bigger lad who basically wanted his money and his lunch and all this sort of stuff. And Alan's doing this. Rich, this is how you do it, mate. This is how you do it. Isn't this brilliant? This is it. And then he takes one swing at this kid, punches him on the face. The boy runs off. Alan's got his lunch. And I'm stood there with a half-chewed sandwich in my mouth going, what is this? What is going on? It really was quite incredible. Alan could not have been happier. He was like ready for the next fight almost immediately. So I was close friends with Alan, and um, we had all sorts of fun together. In the Old Testament, David and Jonathan were such friends. The closeness of their relationship is unparalleled. Uh, By the way, it's funny for me to keep saying David and Jonathan, because they're the the names of my two brothers. (laughs) Um, God bless them. So David and Jonathan also got into lots of scraps and scrapes as well, but the depth of their friendship was mutual. And 1 Samuel 20, verse 17, did you notice when Janet read, David loved him as much, not that one, go back to the beginning, go back, that's it, thank you. David loved him as much as he loved his own soul. So Proverbs 18, 24 is true. 
If you want to have friends, be friendly. And this was perfectly true for David and Jonathan. The tricky thing, of course, as you've noticed, is that David, uh, sorry, Jonathan was the son of the king, and the king hated David. And Saul knew that David would one day become king. But when Saul realized in the passage after Janet read that, that Jonathan was friends with David, Saul the king in chapter 20 verse 31 said, Send him and bring him to me, for he will surely die. Nice. <laughs> but instead, Jonathan had arranged by way of secret messages and shooting arrows and saying secret things, a way out for David, that David must in fact flee for his life. While some friendships in our lives, and many of us will have these type of friendships, remain casual or superficial, the friendship described here is as deep and meaningful as it can get. The bond of loyalty, the covenant that they make together. And we're going to talk about that in the context of faithfulness towards God, God towards us, us towards God. But here, it's this way. It's together between people. And so the relationship with God shapes and forms that relationship that we have with each other. Stanley Harawas uh, is an, he's an aged, uh, marvelous Texan theologian, said that friends are but another name for hope. Do you like that? Friends are but another name for hope. Jonathan was hope for David. But this hope was grounded not in their friendship, but in something far more substantial. It was grounded in the nature and the character and the love of God himself. So... 1 Samuel 20, verses 14 and 15, explain through the mouth of Jonathan. Jonathan says, show me unfailing kindness like that of the Lord. Show me the kindness that God shows you as long as I live so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family. So Jonathan made a covenant with David. And the word translated, if you notice, the word kindness is mentioned twice. It's one of the most beautiful Hebrew words, chesed. Everyone say it after me. One, two, three. Well done. Brilliant. Top of the class, all of you. It's the word that describes God's love to us in covenantal faithfulness, the unswerving commitment that God will do what he's planned to do, not just in, 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 in covenant loyalty, but saving grace and redemptive power. He will do in your life what he has promised he will do. And this word is often translated as kindness there, as it says there, or steadfast love. When you read the word steadfast love, that's that Hebrew word that carries so much force and power and, in fact, vitality. That's the word that's being discussed in this passage. It is used of God in his intentions towards us, towards humanity. It's not just love, not just willy-nilly love. I mean, I like 
Marmite. I love Marmite. Spread thickly on my toast. Anyone else love Marmite? Anyone else hate Marmite? Yeah. Do you hate it, Stuart? Yeah, yeah. You love or hate it. That's, the way, that's where the phrase comes from, isn't it? But I don't love it with a covenantal loyalty that God has towards me. But it's the same English word, love. I love Liverpool Football Club. It is hard these days. Come on. 7-0 with Man United and then 1-0 against Bournemouth in a defeat yesterday. Are you kidding me? What's going on? Anyway, oh, sorry. Um, let me... Forgot where I was for a moment. So it's that love that, that, that God shows us that David and Jonathan are now displaying. Now, biblically, when thinking of faithfulness, we do tend to think of it just as God towards us. But we are called to be like God. We are called to reflect his character, to love as he loves, to do as he does. Love of God, love of neighbor, is the essence of Christianity. Therefore, anyone who claims to love God but hate the church, and we know there are people out there that do, hate the church, but they're Christians. Not one single church on the face of the earth is ever good enough for them. A plague on their house. God calls us in chesed love. Or those who make themselves master and commander of all things Christian. If it doesn't conform to what I understand or think, then to hell with everyone else. No, that's not Christianity either, right? These are the very people who lack the chesed of God, the transforming steadfastness of God's covenant loyalty to us, and we need covenant loyalty. Again, Stanley Harrowas says, friendship is the virtue most necessary for life. Now, if there's anyone here without any friends, do come and see me afterwards, and I'll be your friend. <laughs> Don't run for the hills at that, at that invitation. But friendship as the most necessary virtue for life. What a wonderful way to phrase it, right? Now, currently, my best friend is my wife. <laughs> I shouldn't have said currently, I know. I just realized that was a terrible mistake to make. <laughs> Hang on, let me, yeah, my best friend. Sorry about that, sorry. Marriage, and Rachel and I have been married this August, it'll be 33 years. Woo! And don't come to me and say, well, when you get married for 50 years, I, I'm working at it, I'm working at it, I plan to be there soon, all right? But marriage requires the necessary ingredients, right, of love and of romance and of trust and fun and adventure and hard work, right? Amen, brother. <laughs> I won't offer now why one in two marriages ends in divorce in our culture. When Rachel and I married in 1990, it was one in three. Now it's one in two and barely hanging on. So I'm not going to mention that anymore except to say this. That the only thing I need to do to have a garden full of weeds is nothing. Let me say that again. The only thing I need to do to have a marriage full of weeds 
is nothing. Right. And so, anyone can be friendly, but not very good at being a friend. Is that you? Oh, by the way, just while we're talking about marriage, I have printed off a couple of copies. Uh, it dropped into my inbox this week from Paul Beasley Murray, who's a big old Baptist bigwig, amazing scholar, pastor. He's just written uh, a, another post, and this one's called A Survival Guide to Marriage. I've got two copies, but you, I can make more available if anyone wants to clamor for them. A Survival Guide to Marriage. This is about pulling up the weeds in your garden, right? I have those there. So going back to Jonathan and David, faithfulness to a true friend is that strong, sure, steadfastness that God shows to us. And you know the way David talked and thought about God, that the, the, the love of God was in his own DNA, wasn't it? It was in his own bones. The fire was there. And many of his psalms are infused with this idea of God's love towards him and his love towards God. I think arguably my favorite psalm, the one that really fired my bones, Psalm 63, says, Your covenant steadfast chesed Love, your love, O oh God, is better than life itself. Your love is better than life itself. And he's writing about this as Saul is charging around after him, trying to kill him. So anyway, eventually, we're going to skip forward now. Saul and Jonathan are killed on the mountain of Gilboa in 1 Samuel 31. They're both killed fighting the same fight. Father and son, gone. But Saul had a remaining, uh, uh, Jonathan had a son rather. Saul had a grandson called Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth, everybody. Mephibosheth. Right, I don't want to be the only one trying to make a fool of myself here. Mephibosheth. The brother of his best friend uh, and the son of his greatest enemy. And David demonstrated chesed love towards him. Saul's, Saul has lost his crown. His son, Jonathan, is dead. In 2 Samuel 9, David is king and says, does Saul have anybody left? And you think at this point, in the context of the ancient world and kings and power, that David's going to seek to wipe out the house of David. What does King David do when he hears that Mephibosheth, a, man, a young man now, disabled from the age of five, after his nurse dropped him while fleeing from the enemies and disabled both his feet, but related to the royal line. What does David do? Restores to him all of the property of Saul and allows him to sit in the royal court of himself, of David, eating and dining and living with the princes of Judah all his days. Why? Because of the covenant that we heard read out by Janet. The covenant between Jonathan and David. The bond, the power, the special nature of it meant that David is not going to forget that covenant in the same way that God will not forget his covenant with us. Praise God for this. Verse 
So, I'm now going to read from John chapter 15 as we finish. 15 verse 14. And I should have brought my should have gone to Specsaver, I suppose. Is it on it's on the screen? Great, I'll read it from there. I can see that. Jesus said, You are my friends if you do what I command you. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I've made known to you, said Jesus. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. So in chesed love... Straight from the throne room of heaven, the Word of God made flesh invites us into a divine friendship with Him. A divine friendship. Yes, Jesus is my Lord and my Savior, and I will proclaim this to the end of my days, please God. But He's also my friend, not in a sentimental, wishy-washy way, but in covenantal loyalty. The strength of that word chesed is so powerful to allow that, uh, that, that, that essence of God to sink into your hearts. Jesus sees us as David saw Mephibosheth. How was David viewing Mephibosheth? This disabled young man, disabled from the age of five, after running from his enemies and hurting his feet. He was helpless and fatherless and lost and distorted. But as Mephibosheth is lame in his feet and lost and destroyed and distorted, so are we before God until Christ makes us friends and invites us into his life. To not sit at the table to dine with the royal line of Judah, but to sit at the table with the king of Judah, from the lion, the lion from the tribe of Judah, and sit and dine with the saints that have gone before, eating and drinking. So Jesus comes to us like David did to Mephibosheth and restores to us the property of the Father. Have you not heard that Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions? This is you getting the title deeds to royal property, church. And Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, John 14, verse 2. And so Jesus stands at the door of our lives, and he knocks, Revelation 3.20. And he says, if we open that door, he will come in and dine with us, eat and drink with us in transforming covenant love towards us. And so, Dave, uh, so Jesus is the true David as we dine with the saints. And so we have our sins forgiven. And we live in undeserved mercy, glorifying God and enjoying Him. Enjoying Him forever. 
glorifying God and enjoying him forever. And in order for this to happen, what had to happen that I haven't mentioned for this to take place, for us to be made friends with God, for us to dine with the saints, for us to hear the knock of Christ on the door of our lives, what must happen, church? Christ must die for our sins. And so he was slain, not on Mount Gilboa like Saul and Jonathan, but on Mount Calvary, on the Mount of Crucifixion as it's called. This is the ultimate display of God's chesed love. It's the best place to go to see this love of God. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, church. It is unimaginable and inexhaustible. Friends can and usually do change lives. I've been impacted by friends. You have too. Others come and go in our lives, and there's a mutual supporting there, and that's good. But to become a friend of God... That's what you're made for. That's the very thing you exist for, to be friends with God in saving covenant chesed love. And this is available for you right now. And so I plead with you, if you do not know Jesus today, do something about it today. Do something about it right now. Praise his holy name. Let's pray. And then I'll invite Carol up afterwards. Father, you are so good to us. Lord, you call us to repent because we are sinners. And Lord, when we repent of our sin, Lord, you don't crush us. But you show us Christ who was crushed for us. Slain, but risen again. And so, Lord, our life belongs to him. And we offer our lives to you, Lord, in humble, joyful obedient, loving service to you, Father. So, Lord, let your word sink deep, we pray. Bless your word to us in Jesus' name. Amen.